Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Suns Show. That's at the Loyal Suns on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us here and follow us there for pit sports content you won't want to miss. If you love Kenny Pickett and hate Kevin Stallings, this is the place for you. The Loyal Suns Show, a safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix, brought to you by Section 5. We're here today. Myself, my co-host, David, and Squid, kind of. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, that is Squid for today. Um, he's been busy all weekend, so don't think he'll be contributing much today. Uh, not a whole lot going on in the pit sports world. Some transfer portal movement. Uh, Narduzzi won a big golf outing with a bunch of other college football coaches. Shocked. Dudes just went down and won, won a bunch of money for Children's Hospital. So Took shout care out of to business. Coach I mean, he, he everything he does, he does to win. We know that. Um, but yeah, lot, kind of a quiet period for Pitt sports, but there is some stuff going on. So, David, what's the, what's the biggest thing going on right now? Well, I guess there was a big theme this week, um, or a big overarching story. It's that the transfer portal closed to uh, new entrants a couple hours after our last episode, so we didn't really get to touch on it, um, but Pitt held the team together, if I'm going to put a headline um, on this most recent development. The only player that entered the portal at the deadline was Vanderhaar, the punter from Australia, who quite honestly fell to third or maybe fourth on the depth chart uh, behind a couple walk-ons and a couple non-scholarship guys. Um, and and that, was, that was it. That was it. Uh, 12 Panthers entered the portal um, overall since the end of last season. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. I didn't feel like a lot of super valuable ones did. Yeah. Obviously, last year with our guy who ended up being a first-round pick in the draft, wide receiver, uh, he, he entered the portal late. But Pitt has been pretty good about keeping guys within the program, especially contributors not losing a ton of guys to the portal and sound like a broken record, but speaks to the culture and the environment that Narduzzi's built around the program. Guys like being here and they like playing for these coaches. Mm -hmm. They like playing for Pitt and they love the university. So good job by them. And it, it's funny that nowadays with how college football is, it's like, that's a win keeping your players on, on your roster. That is a win. So uh, shout out to the coaches for continuing to do a good job with that, keeping these guys happy, keeping them around. And well, it, it's just a testament. It's uh, we see some of these other programs who have these mass exodus every year. And th- that's never really happened with Pitt. So it's it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I think this is the offseason that we deserved after. Um, I mean, do you do you remember the anxiety that you felt a year ago, almost this past weekend? Uh, just refreshing Panther Lair and Twitter to get the latest development on where our best player was going to play the following season. That was miserable. Yeah, it was. It was not fun. No, not at all. Um, so it it was. I think we deserved a year where the only people that left the program were people who I think had an understanding with our coaching staff that it would would be better for them to go to another program. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, Slovis, Bradley, uh, Barden, 
even John Morgan, to an extent, I think that was a very mutual like, hey, you know, I think it would be better for you and better for us if you played for another program. And he ended up with a really awesome landing spot in Arkansas. Um, but, you know, most of them have been guys who did not really have a path to playing or did, just didn't fit the system anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, so. So. I, I, I almost want to knock on like like they can't transfer now. So I, I don't want to say knock on wood because there's nowhere they can go. But I know that whenever we speak optimistically about the pit program, then bad things happen to punish us. So I'm, I'm kind of going to walk on eggshells here. We'll take it. We'll take where we're at. Uh, it was a good offseason overall. Brought in some some talented guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like there's still some work to be done in the portal with the guys who are currently in the portal. I know. Pitt's still trying to add wide receivers. That wide receiver room's a little thin. Um, added, I don't even know, honestly, if we talked about it last episode, but adding the transfer tight end from USC. Did we talk about that? Yeah, uh, Malcolm Epps. I, I think we did because we just talked about, like, yeah, he's he was like a four or five star, and he's massive, so... We're excited. What, what, we'll take, we'll take. He's either really good or he's not good. Yeah, so that's um, it's been a pretty good offseason for Pitt. I think all around they've they've kept the core together. They've added some guys, and they're still trying to add some pieces. Um, on the basketball side of things, they had a visitor this weekend, a pretty big deal. Uh, Noah Thomason, transfer from Niagara, guard who averaged just under 20 points a game. So took his official visit here. I want to say this is his final official visit, which can be a good thing or a bad thing in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Bad thing would be if he never gets to that final official visit, but seeing as Pitt will have the last chance at him, I'm pretty optimistic about their chances there. I know Pitt's staff has made him a priority. Um, like I said, he averaged 20 points a game last year at Niagara. Pitt wants to add another veteran guard to the mix here. Um, added Ishmael get from Rhode Island, but I, I think there was a thought amongst Pitt fans like, oh, can they can they keep adding these guys? Because you know, Carrington, Carlton Carrington's coming in. Jalen Lowe's coming in. We have Dior Johnson. And I have the honest, same question, to be honest. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't think Jeff Cable and his staff ever sat down at the end of the season. And we're like, yeah, we feel good about playing a bunch of guards who've never played in college before, like a bunch of freshman guards. I don't think it's um, I mean, if you look at the NCAA tournament, teams that go far typically aren't playing two freshman guards in their backcourt. and that this program wants to take that next step, build on that momentum from last year. Um, they're not going to bank on a couple 18 year olds handling the ball in March. Yeah. See that that's logical. That makes total sense to me, but I'm, I'm still curious. Um, and I'm, I'd love your thoughts on it. I was just sort of surprised because we got a bunch of like top 100 recruits that are freshmen that are coming in and are highly touted. And it feels like so many other programs just kind of roll with their highly touted incoming freshmen. And like that, that is their lineup. Like every year Duke and Kentucky's lineups are here's five, you know, rivals, top 100 freshmen. This is our team. We're going to win 25 games. And I know that those guys are usually a little bit higher rated than the guys we're bringing in, even though I love, 
the three guards that we're bringing in. But I guess like wh- what's stopping us from just rolling with those guys when so many elite programs seem to get by year after year doing that? Uh, I'd argue that there's like a major drop off from the guys that Duke and Kentucky are getting like the McDonald's all American types, the future lottery pick types and like Jalen Lowe and Carlson and Carrington, I think very confidently and even Marlon Barnes, he's a little lower rated than those two guys, but I think they're going to be very good college players for us. But there's a big difference between guys who are going to be like top 10 NBA draft picks and a guy who's going to play three, four years in college. Um, there, it's just a different level of basketball player. The NBA takes the top, what is it, 360 players in the world. Um, it's a very elite company. And the guys who the guys who end up at Duke and Kentucky and, like, you can really ride with those freshman guards, uh, they're just a different level of guy that Pitt's not really landing. You, you don't think that Dior belongs in that tier? I, I don't even know what to think of Dior to be honest with you. Uh, he was a very highly ranked guy as a 10th grader. Uh, and then he slowly dropped his last couple years of high school. Some people think that was for things not to do with basketball. But I, I think he's super talented, and I think he's going to play a lot for Pitt this year, and he might even be the starting point guard. I don't know what that conversation has looked like, how he's looked at in, pra- in practices last year, uh, what level they think he can play at. But I'm more so talking about those incoming freshman guards. They're they're not just going to hand the keys to Dior, Jalen, and Carlton and say, get us to March. It's just, it's not a good bet to take. You're going to want 22, 23-year-olds uh, guiding the ship, especially in this day and age in college basketball, when you can get these transfers, these guys who've played a lot of basketball. I mean, just look at last year's team. Look at the success they had. Uh, those weren't all super highly touted guys, but Nellie Cummings had played four years of college basketball rage. They were seasoned. They were seasoned. They tenured, if you will. Yeah. And they're grown men, to be honest. Like when you can toss out grown men playing against other lineups of 19, 20 year olds, that gives you a bit of an advantage. So I think, uh, I I think this has been the staff's plan the whole, whole time. Uh, If they can't get Thomas in to commit, then I think they look to Ray J Dennis from Toledo. I think he's also a priority for them. Uh, they probably can't land both of them. I don't, I don't think there's enough minutes to go around. But those are the two, two guys remaining. And I I do think if you can land either of those guys, Pitt's sitting pretty to have, have a really talented roster next year in a team that if Jeff Capel can get the buy-in like he did last year's team, has a chance to duplicate or maybe even honestly be better than this past year's team. Wow. Um I can verify that Ray J. Dennis is very good. He is a Mac guy. Um, so I got to watch him play a couple times and uh, he's a killer. He was, I think he was the leading scorer in the Mac, I believe, and, and probably the best player in the Mac, which is why he is now transferring to find a bigger power five school to play at or power six or however it works in basketball. And he is, he is legit. And I'd really like to see us land him. Yeah, I, I don't think we can go wrong with either guy, but you look at Dennis, he averaged 19 and a half points, four rebounds, six assists in the Mac last year. Uh, confirmed good, 48% from the field as well. Mm. Um, they're pretty similar, you know, league guards who can both score. So it, it's pretty clear what kind of player they're trying to land right now. And like I said, those are probably the two options of guys they can get. So 
Um, yeah, it, it it will be exciting these next few weeks as these guys commit, and then once they get on campus, um, and then off campus, I kind of forgot about this. We didn't mention it, but they'll be heading to Spain and the Canary Islands later this summer. The entire mm-hmm. team back to the home of the Diaz Graham twins. So uh, that'll be a pretty cool experience. Pitt hasn't done one of these international trips, I believe, since Italy in maybe 2019. Um, it's a great opportunity to do some team building, get out there playing. They'll play against some some professional level teams over in Spain, and probably doesn't hurt in keeping the Diaz Graham twins around and taking them and their team on a on a couple week trip to their their homeland. So that's a pretty good perk. Pretty good perk of being a college basketball player. Just one in a line of many. Just a two week trip to play basketball on the Canary Islands. God, what I wouldn't have given to be about a foot taller and remotely athletic. It's not much of a secret that I have a home field apparel problem. Even before we started this show, I couldn't even step foot on a new college campus without making sure there was something from that school's home field collection waiting on my porch when I got home. So we are, understandably, over the moon to partner with Homefield this season to keep Pitt fans comfy, cozy, and stylish at a fraction of the price by using promo code LOYALSUNS for 15% off your next order. This discount applies site-wide and with unique vintage collections for every school from Pitt to Bama, Jackson State to Colgate, Michigan, Marshall, Marquette, and both Miamis. There's something for every fan. So whether you're buying for a Pitt fan or for a loser freak, use promo code LOYALSUNS at homefieldapparel.com to save big on your next order. Each code applies once per email address, so get those work emails and burners ready. That's homefieldapparel.com. So now we're going to do a bit of a different segment. We've done it once before. This is called Questions from Our Girlfriends. These are questions that we throw in a notes tab notes app and throughout the season football basketball season we toss in and anytime we get a really good intriguing question or comment from one of our girlfriends we toss them in here um we've got some good ones on here today yeah we haven't done it in so long we really accumulated a lot through the end of football season and basketball season um and 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 there's some important context here um both dylan and i our our very lovely girlfriends are from hockey families uh, and so when they when they started dating us, um, they were forced to welcome football and basketball into their lives. And it's it's been quite a learning curve. Um, and, and we want to stress, you know, this this segment is not to imply, you know, that that some people are more inclined to be football or basketball fans than others. Um, you can you can know as much about a sport as anybody across the gender spectrum uh if you follow it and you love it however our girlfriends uh are still very much um learning they are in they're the learning in the, they're learning and they're they're doing they're they're doing their best they really are um but uh that also isn't to say that there hasn't been a, a fair amount of unintentional comedy produced by their learning process so we we just want to share that with you yeah and i'll kick it off here and this isn't so much a question about like the rules of the game or 
why but just why is football on every day and i think the easy answer there is because it's awesome because our creator knew that he was saddling humanity with a lot of vice and that we as humans would would you know, our daily lives would be encountered by by so much sadness and so much darkness. Thus is human nature, especially um, now that we have our phones telling us every day about all the awful things that happen, that he gifted us with this one outlet for happiness and joy. And that is football. That is the month and a half span through October, November, where you have a football game every single day. Monday night football. Tuesday and Wednesday night match and Thursday night football, Friday night Pac-12 and ACC, and then Saturday and Sunday. That's enough, enough said. Yeah, it's that's why there's football in every day because we deserve it. Yeah, and I, I think they, they have a good understanding like Saturdays and Sundays are for football. And then the Monday night game is a little bit of a like, all right, can we can we move on with our week? Yeah. Um Thursday night football was kind of a shocking, uh, shocking development for for my girlfriend. She was like, "Why? Why are they playing on Thursday? Everyone else plays on Sunday." I'm like, "Ah, eh, well, money. There's a lot of money to be made, and the occasional like I just throw on a Louisville Syracuse game on Friday night just to check real on, football. You know, yeah, yeah. What's real going football. on in the ACC? She's like, "Why are they playing today? Why aren't they playing tomorrow?" Like Pitt, and I'm like. Money. It's money. Money. Um, I feel especially bad for my girlfriend, Tori, because I, I think unless you are a true gambling addict or you've spent part of your life living in Ohio, you you tune out Tuesday and Wednesday. That's the day that you can focus on things that aren't football. Not for me. Not for me. That's when that's when my beloved Bobcats are playing. Um, so yeah, there's there's going to be a, a good amount of those weeknights where uh, we're, we're, we're locked in on the couch. And an extension of this question is th- there was a USFL game on uh, at the bar we were at last night. And she's like, what is this? What what could this possibly be? What? And I was like, <laughs> that is a very fair question. Yeah. And then she was like, is this the XFL? I'm like, no, this is actually another football league. And she was just pissed off. Like. Did you did you clarify to her that that is not one that we care about and therefore she is safe for now? Yes, but I was also kind of watching because Alex Kessman was kicking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, very loyal yeah, son of you. I was like, this this really doesn't matter. Like this league truly doesn't matter. I was like, the XFL is kind of cool and might actually work, but this league definitely does not matter. No, no. Uh, spring football was also very confusing um, for some, especially because. Last year, um, we we were on a trip to Mexico during the spring game. So for her to, instead of being in a, a villa in Mexico, she had to deal with me spending an entire Saturday getting sunburnt at a, a spring football game. That was that was a lot, and and I appreciate her patience. Yeah, spring fo- football throws them through a loop, but hey, that we we went, we actually went to the spring game this year, and yeah. it was, you know, we we enjoyed the, the people walking around in pit clothes, being on the North Shore, people tailgating. So it was a it's a good experience, but so that's why football was on every day because it's amazing exactly. and money. 
so football isn't the only thing that can be confusing to some. Um, so that is that is why while we were watching some pit games and they they showed Jeff Capel um, and gave him the little bio tag at the bottom, Jeff Capel the third Pitt Panthers head coach. I was asked the question: There are three Jeff Capels. Did they all coach at Pitt? Which leads me to believe that there is an understanding that one might come to that being Jeff Capel is like being the Pope. And that, <laughs> that after this Jeff Capel dies, um, Heather like and EJ Brigetti are going to go into a room and whenever they select a Jeff Capel, the fourth white smoke will billow out of the cathedral and Pitt will have its new head coach, Jeff Capel, the fourth. I'm not completely against this, this idea. Like every, every coach, if Jeff Capel gets us to a final four, I'm okay with calling every coach thereafter, Jeff Capel. Um, for for what it's worth, Jeff Cable's dad was was no slouch in the coaching game. Mm-hmm. Coached a long time, both in college and in the NBA. Pretty obvious where Jeff and Jason get their uh, their passion for for coaching. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's a good one. I, I it's kind of like the Chris Pickle '97 football coach. I was I was going to go there as well. Yeah, um, if you want a head coaching position named after you, you, either have to win a national championship or donate a trillion dollars to a school. So does that make Pat Narduzzi Chris Bickle the first, or is Chris Bickle Chris Bickle the first, and Narduzzi is Chris Bickle the second, and then whenever he retires in however many years, Joe Moorhead will be Chris Bickle the third. I don't know. We'll have to go to the drawing board on that one. Yeah, we we can ask Chris. Whatever he wants. Yeah, he's our he's our buddy. We can. We can just ask him. All right. What else? What else we got here? Uh, another basketball season one. Um, so I was watching an old pit game on YouTube as, as I do throughout pit season. Like pit only plays what two games a week. So the other seven days I need to fill that in with like Dewan Blair versus UConn in, in 2009, something like that. And I was watching one of them and Jamie Dixon popped on the screen and she asked, who is that? Is that Bob Saget? And I'm not completely joking, man. I think she was joking, but I just thought it was hilarious that Bob Saget and Jamie Dixon could be. If RIP Bob Saget, but if there was ever a biopic on Jamie Dixon, how funny would it be if it would have been played by Bob Saget? Uh, quite. Um, and I'm not, I'm not ruling out the biopic uh, here. Um Jamie Dixon and Bob Saget, both hugely influential in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, Very influential on my life. Staples of our childhood. Do you think Do you think she saw a slick back and thought, like, these are the same guys? Yes. Like, kind of fuzzy TV screen, because it's in, in 2009. Right, right. Before <laughs> high definition. Kind of looks like Full House. Yeah. Well, it wasn't wasn't a completely erroneous take. 
Oh, also basketball season. And this is another one that I actually have agreed with. Um, complaining about why NBA teams wear too many different jerseys. Uh, how's a girl supposed to keep track of who's playing? I agree. The Milwaukee Bucks should not wear blue jerseys just randomly no. on Tuesday night. Like the and the playoffs have strengthened my disdain for this this theme in the NBA. Like the Warriors will just switch up how their court looks from game to game and series to series. Like I what why? Just the court how it is, pick your dark jersey, light jersey, ride that through the playoffs. There aren't Nike has like I always thought alternate jerseys used to be cool. There was a time where like when Oregon was doing it, it was like, oh, they have a hundred different jerseys. It's awesome. There's all these different uh like it, it used to be cool to like have throwback. There's way too many now. Like dark, light, maybe an alternate throwback. I, yeah, you're right. At, at first, it was really cool because the NBA was basically like your fun stepdad who let you stay up a little bit later uh, because, you know, the NFL is so strict about like uniforms and alternates and stuff. And the NBA was like, 76ers, you want a neon green jersey? Go ahead. You can have one. Yeah, you, you can have a glass of wine with dinner. <laughs> like... It it just got out of hand, and uh, I've seen a lot of people complaining about the playoffs, where it's like, it's the playoffs, and I'm turning on a game and not immediately sure which teams I am watching, because Miami is is firing up its City Edition jerseys and just, like, neon pink. Yeah. And honestly, the regular season's so long. If you want to mix those in throughout the season, go for it. But playoffs are here. Wear your wear your threads. Pick what you're rocking. It should be like March Madness. The team actually has to pack the jerseys. Like Pitt only took their black jerseys now, so and that's what they were riding with. So that's I think teams should have to do that in the playoffs, but they won't. Nike's Nike's going to milk every every jersey they can out of the fans. Every 150 dollars jersey that you mm-hmm. can just buy from China for 25 bucks. Um, also on the uniform theme. And I have started to pay a little bit more attention to uniforms. I caught myself the other day, like complaining, like, why is Anthony Davis wearing red shoes? Those look terrible with the gold <laughs> Laker jerseys. Uh, but we were playing Georgia Tech, and some of the players had pink shoes, and some of them have like light blue shoes. And she just said, it looks like they're having a gender reveal. And I was like, that would be a honestly a pretty dope way to have a gender reveal if it was just like whatever sh- color shoe your college team came out in. How much do you think you have to donate to the athletic department to get that? Can we can we get a like a like a quote from the Pitt athletic department? Yeah, let's work on that. It's more money than I have, probably. Correct. I imagine it's more money than we have combined by a factor of multiple, like like five to ten to a hundred times. Maybe if we can just ask enough, they'll just do it as like a. You know, little little favor to the loyal sons. Yeah, am I a dweeb for thinking that uh, teams should have uniform shoes? Yeah. I just think it looks so much better. No, you're a dweeb. I I think at this point, it's just sneaker culture is such a big part of basketball. Yeah, yeah, I I, like, I get that. You're never gonna convince 
those players that they have to wear the team hyper dunks for that year. Also, they want to wear a different shoe every game. Like if you have right. a bunch of sweet shoes, you want to show them off. I, I want to clarify that I'm not saying that they should wear uniform shoes. I just think it looks so much sleeker, especially like sneaker culture is absolutely over my head. Um, but man, like wearing the mismatching $300 Air Jordans that doesn't go with your uniform, I, I think it looks a little dumb. And then you have a game where you look like a gender reveal party. That's fair. Well, I'm. You might just be getting old. That that might be what we're working with here. If you're gonna start being the the fashion guru to nineteen twenty year old college athletes, I, th- I think you're just getting old. I don't think it's a I'm getting old thing. I think it's very much more a byproduct of the fact that um, I was a Sperry guy in the period of time where most people my age were uh, sneakerheads. So that never, like, I had one pair of those Kobe Bryant poison dart frog shoes that I thought were sweet. Um, And I dropped the paycheck on that, and that was it. Everything else was, like, I wore the old man shoes. So I, I think that's more a byproduct of me not being with the times than being old. But again, I'm just going to say, I think the uniformity, it looks good, but I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. You're the NFL. I don't know about that. All right. We done here. We got any, you got any more? Uh, no, but uh, hopefully the next time that we have this segment, these are all questions about how the college football playoff works and uh, like how championship parades operate. Um, that's that's my plan. That's my goal. I think that's what we have coming down the pipeline. Coming up, we have, and I feel like we say this with increasing regularity, one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. It was more of a conversation with uh, ESPN's David Hale, who, if you are a Pitt fan, you know everything uh, about his work. He is one of the most prominent ACC writers out there. Uh, and he has a real soft spot in his heart for the University of Pittsburgh. And, and we go on to talk about um, a really wide-ranging conversation, the future of college football and Pitt's place in it, ACC's role or lack thereof in realignment, and uh, the 2023 Pitt Panthers. So uh, so sit back and, uh, and give it a listen. Great interview. Hail is the man. Uh, and enjoy. Please welcome onto the show a very special guest, college football writer, for ESPN, David Hale. David, how you doing today? I'm well, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. I'm always excited to hang out with some pit, pit folks. Uh, they are, don't tell any of the other fan bases, but they are my favorite ACC fan base. Well, that's funny because every other fan base is your least favorite, I thought. That's, that's also true. Well, technically, I went to Syracuse, so I have mixed feelings about them. Everybody else is terrible. So it goes Pitt, Syracuse. Than everybody else did. What makes Pitt fans, you know, what gives them a special place in your heart? Uh, I, we're just, I feel like we have the same approach to sports and life in that uh, it is it is this thing that means so much to us and that we have the highest of, of 
hopes and passion and uh, yet also are vaguely aware that like there's an anvil hanging precariously over our head at any given moment. And uh, we will, it will end up like a uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon at the worst possible time. Like that's, I've largely lived that existence for most of my life. So um, I have a, I have a real, I don't know. We just, we, as the, as the kids say these days, I think we vibe well together. Um, (laughs) So I, I'm, I'm here for that. I appreciate I appreciate that Pitt fans uh, are thrilled when you say something nice about them and are willing to commiserate with you when you have to say something bad happened. And that is all I ask for from an engaged fan base. I think we should talk ourselves so much that we're used to it. You can't hurt us because we hurt ourselves. (laughs) It is. uh, It's it's Eminem in uh, 8 Mile, you know, like you just 8 Mile yourself and that's no one else can hurt you now. No one can be meaner to us than we are to ourselves. Exactly. It's a brilliant maneuver. You you probably have to toe such a line with Pit fans because if you if you say something nice about us, we're very suspicious about it. But if you say <laughs> something mean about the team, we will jump down your throat in the replies. But we we don't take compliments well because yeah, you, your analogy is correct. There is an anvil hanging over our head at all times. And that Anvil is going to throw two ugly picks against Louisville in a game that we should have won. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I mean, that's sort of, I feel this exact same way. I'm, I'm personally bad at taking compliments. Like, I don't know. I, I, I've been told, my wife says, you should just say thank you and move on with your day. And I can't do that because it totally screws up whatever version of myself I had in my head when someone says something nice. And I was like, no, wait, should I believe this? No, no, it's just going to come back to bite me. It's a trap. Uh, yes, it's a trap. Uh, I find, though, the, the nice thing about Pitt is they, um, in the grand scheme of things, within the scope of what I typically cover, I find they are often under an undervalued commodity, which is to say uh, they will be better than most people think. They will not be good enough to fully reach the optimistic hopes and dreams of Pitt fans, but they will be better than people are typically giving them credit for. And so I try to find that happy middle ground. That's about exactly how we feel about it. Um, and I think, I think deep down we know that's who we truly are. But we also have these champagne dreams that, <laughs> well, if we just reinvigorate the city of Pittsburgh, if we get an on-campus stadium, if we can build off of this momentum – uh, we can return to the glories of the 70s and 80s. You know, we won nine national championships. Don't ask me what year those were in, but we won uh, nine national championships. It can happen again. At least one of them was in my lifetime, but that probably is more of a, a detriment to me at my old, old age than it is <laughs> a compliment to Pitt at this point. But uh, look, I I think Pitt, this is my genuine opinion, having covered college sports for uh, a large number of years now. Pit fans are uh, really great in that they are engaged without routinely being like over the top, ridiculous, sensitive. Like, I, I'm sure it feels like pit fans are sensitive when you're around a lot of pit fans, but like, you could be around a lot of like two Miami fans and it's worse than the entire, <laughs> the entirety of Pitt's fan base. Uh, but it is a team that, again, a program that folks understand the history, have an appreciation for it, have actually done it, and 
while it's probably, I mean, the way the college football is set up now, it makes it really hard to say any team like Pittsburgh is going to have a national championship season again because that's just, you know, we just hand the trophy to Georgia or Alabama at the beginning of every year. But, you know, they've been good enough that you, you know, a few crazy bounces here or there in a different way, and all of a sudden you're like, well, possible, possible, not ridiculous. Um, I was I, I was doing research for a TV show that I do on ACC Network with Andrea Adelson today, and we were doing – this is one of my – I'll go on a tangent here for a, a, just Please. a second. I freaking hate that NFL draft coverage is entirely about, like, the combine through the draft. And, like, these players never spent a day in college. And everyone who has been writing about them and reporting on them and talking to them for the last four years knows nothing anymore. Uh, frustrates the hell out of me. And we don't ever pay attention to, like, the draft from a lens of college. So one of the things that we wanted to do on our show today was talk about how these guys that are leaving in the draft will be replaced or who steps up or who kind of fills the gap at the college level on those teams. So we were talking about Kalajic Yancey and the the turnover on the D-line for Pitt. And so I was doing some research, and this is a a stat I came across. Number of uh, seasons, player seasons, of 10 tackles for loss and five sacks by defensive linemen since 2015. Clemson has nine of them. Pitt has nine of them. And we talk about Clemson as if they have just been churning out D-linemen to the NFL. And Pitt's been putting up these kind of numbers on the D-line, too. Like, it's not insane to say Pitt has a pretty high ceiling and talent. They just – it doesn't ever seem to coalesce all together at the same time. It's always in weird spots. Like, like I I believe that we are D-line you um, between Cansey and Jones and Weaver and and, and – Haba and I could I could list on uh, Twyman. I won't keep doing Aaron Donald. Okay, that was the last one. Um, and then and then we always end up with like these these corners that end up fifth sixth round picks, but then our quality starters in the NFL. It's just like okay, but can we also get like a good quarterback at the same time, or one of our many fine running backs, or a heaven forbid a receiver? Like, can we get? all of that at once. And that that's kind of what 2021 felt like for us. And it's, it's a little bit disappointed that our disappointing that our perfect season, we, I, I think we're still a little bit undervalued by pollsters in the national media, but it, that, that's, it was such a special occurrence for us because for 40 years, we've been putting together teams that have all of these guys that go onto the pros and are all world, but we can never form a team around them. I think it's funny yeah, when I mean, the it, national media looks, it's like, wait, Pitt had this pro, this pro, and this pro all at the same time, and they won seven games. <laughs> and it's also really funny when you see a list of, it's usually sacks nowadays. It's like teams with the most sacks since 2018, Georgia, Alabama, Pitt. It's like, Pitt? Aaron Donald, James Conner, and Tyler Boyd famously played for the same seven-win Pitt team. <laughs> And this is, I mean, this is sort of, Pitt's probably as good an example of this as there is, but, like, that's the demarcation between, like, the teams that can be very good year in and year out uh, and the teams that have a real chance at winning a national championship. It's that the teams like Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia are just pulling in so much talent that you can afford to miss here, have a couple of guys leave early there, and you've still got a pretty 
balanced full roster. Like the stars have to align for the pits of the world. It's funny because, you know, Pat coming from Michigan State, I feel like that's another program that it's like, if everything kind of lines up, like they're, they've got two or three pros every year and sometimes five or six of them, but there's always a gaping hole somewhere that, that keeps them from getting to the next level until the stars align. And then maybe there's a magical year like TCU had last year. Um, but I think college football is better when those stars align a little more frequently than they have recently for teams like Pitt. And stars don't fly across the country to Pac-12 powerhouses for a large <laughs> sum of money. Yes. But- Allegedly. <sighs> yeah. This is – I'm. this put me in like the most – like the biggest moral quandary I think I've had as a college football writer too because – I am fully, I fully embrace like player empowerment. They deserve to get money. They deserve to have freedom. And then I look at something like Jordan Addison leaving and I think that freaking sucks, man. Like that just sucks. And as a fan, like as a fan, like you can say like, that's the right thing. It's the right thing. Right. I mean, I'd rather go play as a wide receiver with Caleb Williams than Keaton Slovis. Like that's the right thing, (sighs) but it sucked. It sucked. I, I think Pitt fans have finally arrived at a place where we realize he he might have very well made the right decision for I mean millions of dollars living in Southern California <laughs> catching the football from Caleb. But yeah, it's some upside. I think our disappointment is a lot more with college football and Lincoln Riley at this point than Jordan Addison. <laughs> I think he made the decision a lot of us would have made, um, but also like. You, you aren't allowed to go to a guy who is on another roster and say how many zeros should I put on this check? It's not allowed. And the NC, and I know everyone doesn't, you know, everyone kind of does that now, but the NCAA should be enforcing that. It is. Uh, I mean, we could probably spend the next hour talking about this. Like it is. And we don't have to. The, the situation is a mess. I mean, that's the bottom line. And then there are, look, I, I, I love Pat. I think he's a really good football coach and a good person. Um, he is definitely old school uh, in his approach to this or anything really uh but he's an italian from youngstown it's yes exactly it is what it is so you know he was never going to be the guy that was playing you know fast and loose with the modern rules and so it's he was inevitably going to get screwed somewhere along the line too um the system is set up to reward people who will push the envelope uh because there is no enforcement mechanism and i don't know that the NCAA has any interest in anything more than sort of a nominal, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say the words without the actions behind it approach because they are so, the, the number one priority for the NCA right now is to maintain some at least measure of amateurism in that we are not officially calling these athletes employees of the university. And as long as they can avoid that, which they will eventually not be able to avoid it anymore, but they are going to like squeeze every last ounce of uh, blood from this stone before they ultimately lose this battle, which they will. But every bit of enforcement opens the door to a potential lawsuit. And I think everyone at the NCA level understands that they are one unfriendly judge away from the whole house of cards falling down on themselves. I had never thought of it 
like that before and it hurts my feelings knowing <laughs> how correct you are. I'm sorry to do that. Because I I still held out a little bit of hope that they were going to go back and screw Lincoln Riley um, mm-hmm. for that. But if it results in the caving of the entire NCA, it's probably not going to happen. I know that they have like four <laughs> pending lawsuits that are uh, in the next like five years probably going to uh, shred to tatters their control over the sport of college football. But I was hoping they could at least give Pitt fans one favor before they ride into the sunset. I, uh, and I hope that there is uh, whatever the sunset looks like is it gives us some sort of uh, opportunity that, you know, I don't, I I don't know. I don't know what all this looks like. I know I've talked to ADs and presidents at schools that are worried about where all of this goes, not because they're worried about paying players or whatever, but just because like, what is their place in whatever the next iteration of college football looks like. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if a set of schools that has the money and the bandwidth and the desire to play the Lincoln-Riley game on a daily basis wants to do their own thing, and then you can find this sort of middle ground for those places that are like Pitt that – I don't know. I, I mean, this, I, I guess as a genuine question to you guys, like if the, if the future of college football in five years or 10 years or 20 years was there's a level like a triple A of the NFL that Georgia and Ohio State and Alabama are playing on and Pitt's not at that level, despite having won national championships in its history. But then there's this second level that's still a really fun, good level of college football that has, you know, the Stanford's and Michigan State's and, uh, Wake Forests of the world, and Pitt has a chance to win a national championship at that level. Like, is that a good thing, or is that a thing that people would be bummed about? Right now, I would be bummed about that because I'm even bummed about like the Pac-12 teams leaving for the Big Ten. Okay. Just the way we grew up, the way it always was, uh, and this would be so different. So maybe eventually I'd come around to it. Maybe we'd be like. Soccer fans would be like, oh, relegation in college football is so cool. I love this now. How do we ever do it the old boring way? Uh, but I don't know. I think college football fans are so into tradition. It'd be take a while to come around, more so than some of the other changes recently. It would it would be really hard for me. I'm When I look at college football, I love viewing it the whole 100 and almost 60 years. Um, so it's hard for me to imagine that kind of splintering and, and you want to be a part of the league that has the big boys in it and you want to feel like you're competing. So um, I have convinced myself that the 12 team playoff is going to save the sport because I think it's, I blame the 14 playoff for the situation we have now where there's realistically five teams that can, I didn't get the five in frame. There we go. Uh, <laughs> five teams that can realistically compete for a championship every year um, because they are able to make it and then use that to sell to recruits, sell to boosters. Like, hey, we made the playoff. I think access to the playoff is going to even the playing field as well as the transfer portal, um, you know, where Ohio State can't stock up five five stars in their quarterback room anymore because these guys want to play and there's other teams that can make a championship at this point. And in my uh, little candy land ass dream that I have, it <laughs> evens the playing field. And we see some of the 
insane BS that we saw in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Didn't BYU win a national championship? Bring that back. They did. Yeah. I Look, I, hey, I'm, I'm with you. This year. I, <laughs> I, I genuinely wonder, and I, I, I think there's, there's probably some real truth in what you're saying. The, the part that just is hard for me to wrap my head around is that we are, in the next couple of years, going to get to a point where the ACC, the Big Ten, or I mean the Big 12, and the Pac, whatever the Pac is going to be, 10, 12, 50, uh, those three leagues are going to be making half of the TV revenue that the Big Ten and the SEC is making every year. And I, I, one of the things that I've tried to do, because I, I feel like this is the existential tipping point, is the dollar figures, because it's all I hear about from right. the powers that be. And I, I always say, like, well, what does that mean in real terms? Like, what does it mean? What can Pat Narduzzi not do? Because his uh, bank account at Pitt is half of what it is at Penn State. Land a five-star. Land any five-star. And, and well, and so in theory, there is, I mean, obvious things, but you can only build so many buildings. You can only make a locker room so nice before it ceases to matter. But NIL is already showing that money is going to drive the bus here at some point. And at a point in which I think we will get to where you pay players directly, I mean, that's, that's ball game unless you can find a way to share revenue among leagues more uh, in a more balanced way. And I think it's, you know, it, it, to some extent, college football is like if the NFL uh, contract gave the AFC East twice as much TV revenue as the NFC South, and the AFC East was trying to crush the AFC South uh, every year and pull their teams if they got good. Uh, like the whole idea of college football as a sport doesn't work as a business entity because it's really like these 10 different business entities that are fighting amongst each other in what they view as a zero sum game. Um, so is there an avenue in the future at some point in which uh, everybody says like, well, you know, this isn't great for the sport for Vanderbilt to make double what Clemson makes every year. <laughs> uh, and we need to, we need to figure that out. I so, maybe, but I the next time somebody, a rich person, says, "Let me give you a bunch of my money to make things fair," will be the first time I've ever heard of it. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it looks like. So does does the ACC have a plan at all, or do we just have to hold on and pray no. that the Pittsburgh, you know, uh, media market is going to be attractive to the SEC or the Big Twelve at some point? Um. You know, I it's funny because uh, uh, my pal Matt Brown, who uh, has a newsletter that he does called Extra Points that he does, he dives into all kinds of cool uh, sort of businessy sides of uh, college sports, and he just uh, did a like a he dug in and found a bunch of like old like emails and uh, exchanges, addendums, letters uh, about the Big Ten expansion following adding Penn State and who they might add, and it was. Uh, you know, on the brink of potentially being a Big Ten team had the Big Ten continued its expansion in the early 90s, but they decided to stand pat at 11 and didn't expand. And that was that. The world changed between then and the next time the Big Ten uh, it, it got bigger. I, I the, the ACC is in a very weird position because 
uh, they've got this grant of rights on their TV deal that is sort of forcing everyone to stay together for theoretically until 2036. Um, I have talked to enough folks and, and uh, Michael offered the AD at Florida State made some headlines by being very publicly blunt about this earlier this year is that like functionally, functionally teams trying to win a national championship cannot survive until 2036, making the amount that they're making now compared to their, uh, their rivals in other leagues. Um, but there's really no fix. I mean, the, the only potential answer is the ACC goes to ESPN and says like, we're going to die if you don't give us more money and you're, we're a valuable asset to you. You've got to find a way to make this work. And ESPN out of the kindness of their heart says like, okay, here's a tr- truck of money that you can have. Uh, can you, and that's fine. Can you talk to the mouse about setting that up for us? <laughs> Oddly enough, he does not take my calls. Mm. Uh, yeah. Tough. I have to, I know. I just, I, I have said, they should just do what I say all the time, but it has not worked out that way. Oh, well, let's ask you that. If you were a Pitt administrator, Pat Narduzzi, the athletic director, what would you do to make sure that Pitt doesn't get lost in the shuffle, aside from just win a lot of football games? Yeah, and I mean, honestly, it's even winning a lot of football games doesn't necessarily solve problems because there's so – you know, it's sort of like how they talk about like the stock market isn't the real world, you know, uh, the, the market for expansion and TV, uh, eyeballs and revenue is not just wins and losses. I mean, if that were the case, we wouldn't see, um, you know, again, Vanderbilt wouldn't be in the position that they're in at some point, somebody would have said, get out of here, Vanderbilt. And, Rutgers would not have been invited to the Big Ten uh, when they were because who cares? They didn't. They were terrible. They have no history. So it's it is. Shiano begs to differ, but get your point. The the even the metrics that define like what makes you an attractive potential expansion option or whatever, even that's changing because we don't really know what TV is going to look like in ten years either because. You know, it, when when Rutgers and Maryland joined the Big Ten, so much of that was about getting into major TV markets so that you could sell your network on cable packages that had hundreds of millions of uh, subscribers and didn't matter if anybody was actually watching that those teams. The point was that uh, you were part of the cable package there. Um, that's still sort of the case, but you have more and more over-the-top streaming, cord-cutting, all of this stuff. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to, to answer that question. Um, I know that the teams that pack a stadium, have some history, win football games in good media markets, and uh, you know, actually will get some eyeballs on a TV, all of those teams are going to have an advantage. But even that's not a guarantee of anything. I mean, Washington has been a historically pretty good football program and they're in a major market and they won a bunch of games last year and have national championships. And they weren't one of the ones that were invited to go to the big 10. It was UCLA and USC. So I I don't know. So you're telling us that if Pitt builds an on-campus stadium, all of our problems will go away and we're going to get invited to the sec. Is that what I'm hearing? 
Yes, that is exactly exactly what I'm saying. I do think, you know, not to belabor this point, but I do think that um, for all the TV money conversations, I think teams, particularly uh, that are in the have-not leagues right now, really need to be considering how do we put butts in the seats of a stadium because that is one of the few areas that you can control that can actually change dynamics financially because what you don't want to be is Duke that's collecting the ACC paycheck, which is inferior, and you're lucky if you – I mean, even if you sell out Duke Stadium, you've got 35,000 people or whatever, like – Clemson has a built-in advantage and FSU has a built-in advantage because they've got 70 to 80,000 at every game. And that makes a real financial impact. I think investing and getting butts in seats really matters moving forward. We've been fighting the idea that attendance is the only thing that matters for years because we are between um, Penn state and West Virginia, the schools that we have, affectionately referred to as attendance state because all that matters is asses and seats. Um, so this is a very uh, sobering conversation. about <laughs> the direction. I, this is, We this started is dark. this by saying I love fans and I want to help you and I've done nothing but just bring you down. Can, can we, can we transition to something that might be a little bit yes. more pleasant? Okay. Thank you. Um, I'd we'd be super remiss if we didn't get, you know, some thoughts of yours on the 2023 Pitt Football Panthers. Um even though it's eventually not going to matter and we're going to wither away to a group of five <laughs> conference as uh the sun expands into the earth and humanity is wiped out because nothing matters. Um we're all living is, in a simulation anyway, so it's Yeah, fun. yeah. So so what are the results of the simulation going to be for the 2023 season? I am, uh, again, I don't want to get anybody nervous. But Give it I'm to us pretty, right, David. I'm pretty optimistic. I'm, I'm a buyer on Pitt right now. Um, I think Jerkovic is a huge upgrade at quarterback. Um, I, it is really hard to measure anything that he did the last few years because uh, he was hurt two years ago, and, and when he came back, he was still hurt. He just wasn't – he was able to get on the field, but he couldn't really throw. And he was – the t- playing behind an offensive line last year that may have been the worst in college football, at least the worst in the power five. So I have seen enough of Phil Dracovic over the years that I feel pretty confident he's not Kenny Pickett, but I think a sizable upgrade from Keaton Slovis last year. Uh, And I think that's going to allow the offense to be a little more balanced. I think you can, you don't need to be chuck it 50 times a game, Kenny Pickett, but you don't need to be, give it to Izzy 40 times a game either this year. I think you can be more of a balanced offense, which is, I think, what Pat would like to be. Uh, and then the defense, like, I don't know, maybe I just yeah, – Pat is real good at selling me the Kool-Aid, and maybe I'm just drinking it happily. But uh, when I've talked to him, he seems about as enthusiastic about this defense as you could hear Coach B about a unit that is going to have a lot of new starters. Um, and again, I mean, he's just like goes down the line on the defensive front. And he's like, I, you know, I think this guy's going to Dayon Hayes going to be great. Like down the line, Nakai Johnson, it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. So, you know, Pat sold me a little bit. I will say that the one area that uh, worries me a bit is sort of the middle of the defense. Like 
I don't know how you replace Kalijah Kansi with anybody. I mean, he's really freaking good. And Servasier Dennis was such a good playmaker. And and this is one of the things that even Pat was eager to agree with, is such a vocal leader on and off the field, and that, that's just not easily replaceable. So it's sort of like that That middle of the defense is the part where I would say, like, uh, I don't know. But I think there's a good chance that they're better offensively than last year, and they're at least more or less the same defensively. And you win a few that you probably shouldn't have lost last year, and things can be pretty good. Do you – speaking of that young defensive line, do you also kind of get the sense that um, Narduzzi and Partridge – we're almost pushing some of the older defensive ends out the door a little bit because he, you, you mentioned some of them. We have some real young talent on the defensive line this year. Some, some blue chip players that Pitt isn't really used to having um, that have been waiting in the wings for years behind Haba and Cansey and, and uh, Deslin Alexander and uh, John Morgan. Do you, do you get the sense that they were almost, looking to hit the reset button on that line to give these guys an opportunity. Yeah, I mean I don't think anybody is saying like hey, Kalijah hit the no, 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 hit no. the pavement. He's but a poor yeah, example. So to, to your point, uh no, I think I think you're right. I mean look, I, I think again, look at the numbers and Pitt has done a really good job of restocking the cabinet when it comes to the defensive front. Um, and when it, with the COVID year of eligibility, I think made everything a little bit crazy where guys are staying extra years. And some of that's been very good for teams. I mean, I look at like Wake Forest as a program that's really benefited from guys being there longer, but there's, uh, especially in the era of the transfer portal, man, you're asking guys that you think are really talented to sit back and wait another year because guys got another year and they want to stick around. Like, I don't know that all of that is, Again, I don't think a lot of coaches are wanting to push out experienced, productive starters. But I do think that there's more than a few times where coaches, and and not just at Pitt, but everywhere, are thinking like, I got this guy that's second on the depth chart. I would really like to play him because I think his ceiling is sky high. But I really can't bench this guy who's done all the right things and been productive either because it sends a terrible message. And maybe we can find a way that we can all be happy by you going over here and doing this next thing. We put this next guy here. And I look, I again, this has been that was a really good defensive line last year. I'm not going to speculate that it's going to be better this year, but yeah, I think again, talking to Pat, I don't think he's worried about it in the least. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. I think Pitt fans need to realize that this is a thing that happens with good teams. Georgia, they have yeah. all five stars. They have five stars that hit the road. They can't play. Where do you think this pit team, and it's a scary new world, but I think we have some faith in Narduzzi that'll uh, replace the leaving talent. Where do you think Pitt lands in the ACC this year, and how weird will this ACC season be? Yeah, the, it, no divisions. Be, yeah, it's going to be weird because of no divisions, and I don't. You know, there's a lot of teams that didn't benefit from this, and a handful that do. You know, Pitt gets Florida State this year, which is. Not the bet you you would have rather had Florida State, you know, the last Any few years. Decade. I don't know if this is the right year. I, I don't know quite what to expect from Louisville this year. They seem completely up in the air to me. I don't know. I think Brahms a really good coach. 
I think they brought in some good guys in the portal, but you really never know where that, you know, new first year coach thing is going to shake out. Um, I, I look at Carolina. I think there's a good chance they're going to be exactly what they were last year, real good offensively and real problematic defensively. Um, I, you, know, you got Florida State, you got Clemson. I think those two should be the favorites, whether or not that holds up. I mean, my the history of the ACC, like I always say, like everybody thinks it's definitely going to be Clemson, Florida State now, and the schedule is arranged to make sure that that works and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, well, they set up divisions back in the day to make sure it was Florida State, Miami every year, and that never ended up happening. So the, the <laughs> ACC's best laid plans are are not something I'm worried about. Um, I I think it is, it is proper to say Clemson and Florida State should be the two favorites. But I am far from saying that that is like anything close to a lock to happen. And it quite honestly would not shock me if the whole Clemson has everything fixed because they hired a new OC is not the answer. I I don't think Clemson's fallen off a ledge, but if you told me they, you know, look more like uh, last year's Clemson than whatever this version is everybody's hoping for, I wouldn't be surprised about that. If they lose two or three in the conference, I don't think that's utterly impossible. Uh, So I would put Pitt right in that next sort of tier. I think if everything clicks right for Carolina and the defense takes a step forward, they're in the mix. I think, um, NC State has a real – I think they're in a good position with quarterback, and they have – they're going to have to be pretty good on defense again, and they have a real history of when you think they're going to be good, they stink, and when you think they're going to stink, they're good. So I feel like this is a think they're stinking year, and so they're going to be good. Um, and again, Louisville, I don't know what the hell to make of them. Uh, Miami, I don't know, man. That just feels like a bad situation too. So, yeah, I mean, I, if you ask me right now, like, Okay, if you say someone of Florida State or Clemson is not making it, who's your pick to make it? I probably would lean towards Pitt right now. Wow. Over Drake May and UNC. That's high praise. I just saw too much of that fucking – sorry, am I allowed to say that? You're allowed to swear, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I just saw way too much of that defense last year. I mean, you watch – like, I can't shake the idea of you watching Kate Klubnick in that ACC championship game, and he couldn't miss a pass. And then they go to play Tennessee, in which, like, three of Tennessee's guys aren't playing in the bowl game, and he can't hit a pass to save his life. He's running around chasing ghosts. And I'm like, that told me so much more about Carolina's defense than anything else about it said about Clemson. Like, I, I just – they have to take a massive step forward, I think, at Carolina in order for them to be in the mix this year they got a little lucky duke's sort of in the same way of like i actually think duke might be better this year and win fewer games because the schedule gets a lot harder and they can't possibly have the luck that they had last year so i don't know there's i i I think there's sort of a, a relatively big second tier um but i would probably say Pitt is as safe a bet of that second tier as anybody Wow, we we love that. Can we can we hold you to a, a record prediction? All right, let me. I pulled up the schedule here so that I have some thoughts. So I, I, I assume they beat Wofford. Uh, since he's an interesting one, but I still feel good about that one. Uh, for my own safety, I say they will win at West Virginia. Smart, smart. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a scenario where they get to at Notre Dame and they're. 
Soldier Covic Revenge game. Uh, yeah, six and one. Yeah, I mean, that's I could you know that it, it all comes down to Notre Dame and Florida State that back to back week of games. I mean, that's a brutal back to back. I could see. I think. I think eight and four is probably your smart money. I could see nine and three, and if absolutely everything goes right, I could see ten and two. I think eight and four is the smart money. So pretty much any other year for Pitt. This yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can set your watch to us. Yeah. I don't know. I still think uh, Sam Hartman seeing Dayon Hayes and his nightmares. So <laughs> we, we have the Notre Dame game, which we are attending uh, down as a W. All right. Well, I'm all for it. I, uh, I, w- I would like to see this too. I do. I am. I'm a Sam Hartman fan, but the last time I saw him uh, playing Pitt, things didn't. Things, things went a little haywire for him. So I, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how how he does this time around. I think that's a fascinating scenario at Notre Dame because um, I like Sam Hartman. He really got to avoid the worst of criticism after his bad games because he was playing at Wake. Mm-hmm. When things went bad, they went real bad, and he was in an offense that he executed superbly, but was definitely a unique offense. Like, I don't know how that translates to what Notre Dame wants to do. One might almost call it gimmicky, so I think we'll be I'm not doing too. that because I have too much damn respect for Wake Forest. Okay, okay. It's a little, it's a little, a little gimmicky. Okay, okay. It's a good gimmick, though. For what they have and what they've accomplished, I'd I'd agree. Get on the Atlantic with it, yeah. Well, Dave, this is this has been awesome, and we really appreciate it. Um, but we we can't let you leave without one question. Hold your feet to the fire a little bit. Um, would you like to apologize for ranking Kenny Pickett as the sixth best quarterback in the ACC <laughs> going into 2021? And you can apologize by telling us how many Super Bowls he's going to win with the Steelers. Uh, excellent question. Um, I really need to stop putting up my quarterback rankings in the preseason because <laughs> they don't go, they do not go well. Especially those last are, year, but those yeah. are my favorite I, look, what I, what I, what I brutally underestimated was just how good his hair and beard combination is going to be. <laughs> if I had fully grasped just the luxuriousness of that before the season, I would have absolutely had him as a Heisman finalist, but I just I, – that's an oversight in my own reporting. And so I take full responsibility. Uh, I have him winning zero Super Bowls, but losing three of them to my Eagles. That's So I think that's something. It's not nothing. We're done here. <laughs> We're done here. At least you say you doubt him because of his hands. We'll give you credit for that. <laughs> no, no, no credit assigned for that answer. Sorry. I, uh, I, you know, I, I gave I gave you a solid thirty five minutes of non idiocy, and so I just try to throw one thing at the end. That one hurt the most. We are we are the world's <laughs> foremost Kenny Pickett guys. I I say it without any like exaggeration. When he was throwing ten touchdowns a year for like six win pit teams, we were all saying that is a future Heisman finalist. That guy is <laughs> gonna. I'm. We called him being a first round pick when he was like eighteen, and we have we have not well, backed off of that despite evidence to the contrary for years. And so we are the absolute number one Kenny Pickett guys besides his family in the world. Well, this is why I 
like can't doubt Pat's enthusiasm whenever he tells me things because he told me that exact same thing about Kenny. He said, this is the best quarterback I have ever been around. And he is going to be an NFL star. And I said, well, he did have uh, 11 touchdowns. <laughs> so, okay, you say so, Pat. And uh, he was right and I was wrong. So I don't doubt him anymore. I just do as Pat says. That's a, that's a good, uh, motto to have for your life do what pat narduzzi says <laughs> what would pat narduzzi do i like it we're gonna start printing the bracelets <laughs> wwpn just make sure you give pat a cut on those bracelet sales oh uh, we were too afraid of that man to <laughs> pull any bullshit like that actually if i recall correctly Pat has, because he wears these every year for ACC kickoff, these like, first of all, I don't think Pat has a large, uh, like, closet full of dress shirts, but the ones that he wears, he has, like, monogrammed with his initials on them that I guess his wife got done for them, for him, and I was like, Pat, that's really freaking classy, and he was like, yeah, my wife did it for me, and I was like, all right, so I don't even know if he'd be a wristband guy, because the shirt already is is top-notch. No yeah, frills. It comes out yeah. for ACC Media Day and when they go out for their like, anniversary dinner at a fancy <laughs> Italian restaurant. Olive Garden, yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. Great. Well, Dave, we, we really appreciate your optimism and sometimes lack thereof in our Pit <laughs> Panthers. Um, we will be coming back to you after Kenny wins like six or seven Super Bowls, so just be prepared for that. Um, but outside of that, you have made a friend in the loyal sons. So the next time you are in Pittsburgh, please feel free to stop by our tailgate and we can uh, shotgun a few irons. I couldn't be more excited about the possibility <laughs> and I will have to make this happen. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time and uh, best of luck filling time the rest of the summer like we're <laughs> trying to. Thanks, guys. Thank you again to ESPN's David Hale for joining us to talk about the Pitt Panthers. Um, some of his thoughts kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, but it's it's really nice to know that we've, you know, won our place, you know, in, in the hearts of high up Big J journalists and that, you know, there's something endearing about this low old football program we have. Um, but before we send everyone out for another beautiful May week, uh, fingers crossed, hope it doesn't rain for the rest of humanity. Um, Dylan, do you have a final thought that you would like to share with the people? I do. I always do. Uh, this week, DraftKings released their win totals for col- this upcoming college football season. Uh, Pitt, right at over under, they're over under six and a half wins, which was a little, a little shocking to me. And, and over was actually plus money. Um, so two things here. One, Made me a little more concerned about the season. I'm going to be completely honest. Vegas is very good at what they do. And the fact that they think that lowly of Pitt worries me a little bit. Flip side of that, I feel like Pitt almost always beats these projections. Just because, for whatever reason, people love to bet against Pitt. And from an outsider, I guess looking at a team that is bringing in a new quarterback, lost a bunch of guys to the NFL because what a great program we have that all these guys go to the NFL. Um, there, There's a little, it, it makes sense, right? Where someone who's not, doesn't follow the pit program very closely thinks like, oh yeah, they're going to be rebuilding. They're going to come back to earth. But 
I don't know, man. That kind of just feels like a good chance to make some money. Yeah, I um that is deeply concerned. It's deeply disrespectful is is kind of what what I want to ride see, with. See, I heard people saying like what does Pitt have to do to earn some respect? Vegas doesn't care about respect. Vegas is probably the most objective barometer out there. They're all in the business of making money and figuring out where they can get people to bet one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, but I I don't know, man. I I just feel like the the Pat Narduzzi style of operating a football team, you know, the conservative, sometimes boring approach of really tough defense and an offense that is built on minimizing risk and keeping the defense off the field. Um, While, as many of us have complained, that does not necessarily produce 11 win seasons the way it did when we were gunning it with Kenny. Uh, It also minimizes the risk of six lost seasons, especially when you play some weaker in-conference opponents. I just, I know it's not Vegas's intent to disrespect, but that still feels disrespectful of what Narduzzi has built here. And I, I cannot, just looking through the schedule, and I know we are going to analyze it a thousand times over the summer and talk about it a hundred times. I I don't see six losses there. I just do not see six losses. That would almost necessitate us to lose to West Virginia and Cincinnati this year, and those are two programs that are not in a good place. Yeah, I, I'm, we won't get too deep in I mean, West Virginia rivalry game, anything can happen. We're on the road. Um, but yeah, we're going to analyze the schedule a million times. I, I think maybe just from an outsider's perspective, okay, they do play uh, 11 power five opponents. Uh, one of their in-conference games against Florida state. Everyone loves Florida state this year, but I don't know. It kind of just sounds like a good chance, good opportunity for pit fans to make some money. Maybe just put down whatever you think it'll cost to buy your ticket to and hotel to the ACC championship this year. And then DraftKings can pay for it. Yeah, love it. Love it. Um, So my final thought is that they released the uh, schedule for the 12 team playoffs in 2024 and 2025. Um, And I think I love it. Uh, The first round is on campus, which is sweet. Imagine a playoff game at Alabama or, you know, at Akersher Stadium. At Athens, Georgia, it's going to be electric. And then what I thought was interesting is the quarterfinals and semifinals are on weeknights. Um, like the 2025 quarterfinal, the Fiesta Bowl and Peach Bowl are a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Well, I, I Wait, take that really? back. I'm dumb. I should have read that more thoroughly. That is New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Okay. So they are going to be on whatever whatever days of the week, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are, which I think we kind of expected. But the semifinals are on Thursday and Friday nights, which is, that is interesting. It's going to lead into, I think it's going to, it's the same weekend as a super wild card weekend for the NFL. 
So we are going to have semifinal Thursday, semifinal Friday, and then a full slate of NFL playoffs Saturday and Sunday. Wow, our girlfriends are going to love. That's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, that's. Why is football on every day? Well, let me break it down for you. Keep going. Because the Lord kisses us. Um, yeah, no, that is that is sweet. At first, I was like, ah, there's you know, college football, stop overthinking this. Uh, have games on Saturdays. It is the day that we are most attuned to college football being played. Um, but once I got over my, my old man... Everybody should wear the same sneakers, ass, opinions. Um, that is just sweet. Can't wait. Uh, and then I'm I'm also taking squids on his behalf. Um, I figured it, it should be marathon themed because uh, the marathon is the reason squid is not with us here today, only in spirit. And by in spirit, I mean that he didn't that he didn't die running. He didn't die running the marathon. Just so everyone knows. No, Squid is alive. We think. We'll check later. Um, but I wanted to give a shout out. Uh, the women's champion was North Hills grad, uh, Ross Township denizen Margot Malone, who we went to high school with, and uh, are friends with the Malone family, and they're great. And she ran like super fast. Um ran a whole marathon at a mile pace that I could not run one mile in. So I think it was like a five minute mile or something like that. Yeah, that is, that is absurd. I, uh, hats off North Hills proud. Uh, That's just North Hill supremacy right there. Yeah. I'm pretty sick to win your, your hometown marathon. So shout out to her. That is, it's awesome. It gives us bragging rights. Of course, everyone loves the uh, the cross country ba- bragging rights. Every, mm-hmm. every every high school in Western Pennsylvania goes for that. So, congrats to Margot. And honestly, you know what? She is a she did go to Syracuse, so I don't know how much props we can give her here. Yeah, yeah. On our very um... centric podcast. Didn't think about that until right now. Yeah, she also went to uh, St. Teresa's Elementary, which me, as a proud St. Sebastian's grad, I probably should have left that part out, too. But all all for pursuit of North Hill's glory, I guess. Congrats, and congrats to anyone else who finished the marathon today. Heck of yeah, a just finishing. Huge accomplishment. I don't know if I've run 26 miles in the last year. I mean, I like I play basketball as like cardio, but in terms of actually running, I actually am almost positive. If you don't count me playing basketball, I haven't run twenty six miles the last year. Oh, I'm certain of it. Yeah, yeah, if you take out pickup basketball and Irish football, there's no way. Well, congrats to everyone there. Uh, with that, I think uh, we've got all our final thoughts knocked out. Hopefully, Pitt gets some commits through the portal beefs up the rosters and but that's uh that's all i got now david nope that's it hail to the something something something. hail loyal sons of pittsburgh there we go Mm. bye and that's gonna do it here for the loyal sun show the incredibly handsome and talented dylan david and squid are signing off 
Until next time, Panther fans, H2P.